we are operating with a do no harm as a key philosophy in how we approach these composable commerce solutions and ultimately how we support transformation of major established enterprises. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtech Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation, and this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. Do no harm, perhaps once a phrase more tightly aligned with the medical profession, but it's now firmly made the jump over to the technology field and sets the scene for a conversation around the future of technology architectures. In last year's transformation series, we were lucky enough to interview Pascal Ahada, SVP for Commerce for Valtec, on what we meant by Mac. Back then, 12 months ago, it was a concept that was gaining increasing traction across the tech and digital industry. We saw the Mac Alliance growing in prominence and brands increasingly seeking out an alternative approach to a reliance on the enterprise suites. Today, microservices, APIs, cloud and headless techs make up the acronym that is becoming synonymous with future fit, flexible and responsive architectures with the ability to unlock value across the business. To tell us more, I'm very happy to have Pascal back with me and also to introduce Kasper Rasmussen, Global SVP for Technology at Valtech, to explain what doing no harm looks like in reality and why this could be the end of the replatforming cycle. So Pascal and Casper, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tizzy. Thank you, Tizzy. Pascal, let's start from step one. For those people who are yet to get up to speed with Mac principles, dare we say it, can you give us the 60-second rundown? Yes, absolutely. Well, you already mentioned the words that sit behind the acronym MA, so microservices, APIs, cloud, and headless. And this is an acronym that's very relevant for software vendors who are you know, building this new breed of software solutions. So these solutions that they build, they are you know, completely microservices-based. All the functionality that they provide and all the content and the data and the logic that they provide is exposed through APIs. They're built and hosted on the cloud, and they're typically headless, meaning that they don't come with a prescribed front-end uh, experience, but, but it allows agencies like us and, and, and the companies implementing to create their own front-end experience on top of these solutions. And we, uh, together with our clients, use these MAC solutions to build composable architectures. So it allows us to pick and choose the best-fitting MAC solutions and bring these together to create the unique user experience that, that our clients are looking for. We use the mock solutions to build composable architecture. That's the, I think, the summary of it. 
Perfect. You went over the 60 second limit, but we'll let you off. Let's take the (laughs) composable terminology a step further then and talk about the concept of the composable enterprise, which I know is something that we talk a lot about internally. Casper, tell us what you mean by the composable enterprise. Yeah, happy to. Thank you, Tissy. So the composable enterprise is literally a business-centric view on Mach. So fundamentally, it's where the value sits. So Typically, I go about saying it this way, it's a business's commitment to a more digital native future. So one that actually enables a business to compete through digital, meaning innovations, connected experiences, or even digitally equipped business functions. The composable enterprise is not something you buy, it's a mindset. It's literally emerging when organizations establish digital capabilities or digital muscle at the center of the business. And unlike typical approaches, these capabilities does not sit at the periphery of the company. They actually sit at the very, very center as an equal asset next to employees, logistics, warehousing, and so forth. So what does that mindset enable? It ultimately allows organizations to invest in sustainable, holistic, and integrated digital features with the purpose of these acting as an enabler for touch points, channels, and experiences. So think about how these digital capabilities really represent the footprint of the digital version of the business. So on our side, we help enterprises establish these capabilities around things like commerce, logistics, loyalty, customer service, and so forth. And ultimately, we see businesses recapitalizing from investments in these business services through the emergence of touch points and innovation programs. So in a world like ours, where constantly expectations from customers and channels are changing, we see that ultimately becoming a competitive edge. So that is literally the way you can kind of like see how Mach and the composable enterprise really nicely goes hand in hand. So tell me more about the key differences then for people who, again, are less familiar with what this all means in context. What are the key differences between the traditional enterprise approach that we normally or historically have seen and this composable tech approach? What are the key differences? So the key difference is really the ability to meet customer expectations. So a traditional enterprise is often seen as being more rigid way less flexible and it being extremely difficult and also costly to actually innovate and be agile. In a composable enterprise, you have this set of internal digital capabilities you can innovate on, meaning you have actually achieved speed, flexibility, and ultimately you're realizing true transformation. So it really comes down again to the commitment in digital, and this is a catalyst of transformation at the end of the day. You mentioned then in the start of the introduction there to composable enterprises, that this is very much focused on business challenges. Let's be really clear here. Give us an introduction to some of the types of challenges that we're solving with this approach. So a typical challenge that you're solving through the composable enterprise is commerce business models. It's a market that has moved way beyond just having websites with buy buttons on it. Commerce emerges in every single channel that we interact through whether those channels are voice interfaces, digital screenage, it could also be third parties and marketplaces. Like those are the places where you typically benefit from this type of a composable enterprise approach within specifically the domain of commerce. Okay, let's talk more about that commerce aspect then. So if we can focus in on the application of composable within commerce environments, the last two years, we saw an explosion of e-commerce activity, understandably as all of these companies scrambled to respond to this looming crisis. 
that shall not be named. What was the difference between those who were able to get up and running quickly and those who found themselves, should we say, stuck or unable to innovate? Have you got examples of who was able to respond and recover and why? And maybe Pascal, I'll come to you first on that one. Yeah, so I think what we've been talking about so far is the technical aspect of Composable and the organizational aspect of Composable. And I think if you look at the examples of who was able to to respond to the challenges of of those past, well, it's almost 24 months by now, are the ones that from an architectural or a technical perspective have a modern platform, a modern commerce architecture that allowed them to respond quickly to add features like buy online and pick up in store or curbside pickup or uh, the companies that were able to make the shift from relying on a retail channel to doing direct-to-consumer e-commerce. But it was also the organizations that had their internal organization set up in a way that allowed people from different departments to to seamlessly work together. It's, It's interesting that I hear Conway's law coming up a lot of times recently, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but Conway's law, and it's it's an old one from, I think, 1967, says organizations are reflected in the systems that they create. And I think the companies that have a very siloed setup typically also build very siloed systems. So the, the, the ones that have been successful these past 24 months are the ones that have gotten rid of those silos, both in their IT architecture and in their uh, internal organization. We talk a lot about the business aspect of Mac and this composable approach. When we're thinking about the need to go online, as we have seen over the last 24 months, when we think about a quick turnaround of an e-commerce delivering, what does that demand on your existing tech? Well, it demands a certain level of flexibility to allow new touch points to be introduced that get access to your products, your prices, your inventory, um, your delivery channels, etc. The possibility to maybe integrate with marketplaces where you want to sell your products or uh, all these kinds of new channels that you may want to open. And the systems that are used by a lot of companies have been developed you know, in a past when e-commerce was a separate channel handled by a, a separate part of the organization and was not integrated into the full breadth of the organization. And that made it very difficult for companies to adapt to new challenges or new new possibilities. And so, yeah, it's it, there is a demand from the existing tech to be open, to make it possible to to have these new touch points connect into it. And that's where these Mac technologies come into their own. Casper, have you got anything to add on top of that? Yeah, I just want to say that equally from a demand standpoint, you need to think about the demands being unpredictable by nature, like nobody knows what's going to happen within the next 24 months. That also means your technology stacks needs to be agnostic. They need to be very resilient in regard to them Mm -hmm. not becoming a limitation of what these demands that may come up actually require from it. So I think that's really where the composable enterprise and composable commerce stand out because you're starting to talk about technology that is not channel centric. It does not sit at the periphery of a company and supports the website or supports social media. It's something that again, sits at the core of the company and supports digital more holistically, 
that you then translate into experiences that touch channels and, and consumers. So I think really the agnostic aspect of how these pieces of technology is being established is also quite key to the success. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Pascal, I think you once said in a, in a former podcast, because we do bring you out lots of times <laughs> to these podcasts, this is all centered in delivering a good customer experience. It's all about the experience with a customer. And ultimately, you once said, users don't care what your tech looks like, but they care if they can't complete a function. They, they care if they can't check out or they care if they can't find what they need or the experience is poor. So that's why it's really important, right? This is all about the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And as a customer, indeed, I, I don't really care how you do it as long as you deliver me the product or the service that I'm looking for. And maybe pre-pandemic, we had a situation where customers could think, well, you know, this checkout flow doesn't completely work for me. I'll go into the store and buy the product or I'm not getting the exact information that I need online or the, or the, or the possibility to compare products. So I go into a store and complete my transaction there. Mm. But with those channels being closed off for quite some time, the only option that they had when not being able to complete the transaction is go somewhere else yeah, to a different brand that had their... It becomes a differentiator, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time also, we are so used to using our social channels on our mobile phone, the shop on, the, on our laptop, and also being able to see products maybe on digital screens in a store that we expect the journey across those different touch points to be seamless. And that's where the, the headless aspect of Composable comes into play, that brands can actually create a seamless journey, not only on a single device, but across these different devices and across these different touch points to make sure that you know they serve me in the best way possible. I think everyone can be united on the fact that a customer experience or a good customer experience is of paramount importance, but the clients and the brands listening to this or thinking about this new composable architecture approach will go, okay, great. We know that it's going to improve our customer experience, but the reality is, is that this is potentially a huge undertaking for us as a business. You know, there's not so much clarity around what it actually involves for you as a business. And I mentioned there in the intro, Casper, about the need to do no harm. Tell us more about that and how that aligns with this composable offering. Because some might say this approach exposes them to more third parties, increases the complexity of their partner ecosystem, for example, or maybe even requires a completely new technical setup, new people, new teams, etc. Can we really see this as a do-no-harm approach, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Because I do feel what you're describing is change, which is unavoidable. So that's not something we can forget about. That's not something we can just ignore. The question is more how you approach the change. And when you embrace a do-no-harm approach, we ensure that you foster change, you kind of want to change, while you also continue to remain in control of your business and the continuity of your business, meaning you can continue to be accountable to the stakeholders that you have around you as a executive in a company, for instance. So we are operating with a do-no-harm as a key philosophy in how we approach these composable commerce solutions and ultimately how we support transformation of major established enterprises. We do that by looking at it from a holistic standpoint. Gartner refers to it as being the total experience. And that holistic standpoint really paints a picture of how we, from a future back standpoint, can consider both customer and value centricity, change management, 
process impact, employee experience, and also organizational maturity. If you, when you're changing, are ignoring some of these key factors, then you are at risk of doing harm to your business. It's pretty simple. And that harm can be in poor adoption, unexpected impact on business process, compliance issues, or simply large cutovers not delivering the success you expected. So we do incrementally enable the composable commerce architectures in a do no harm fashion. And we do that through, for instance, deploying multi-architecture transitions, progressive rollouts, feature switches, or even strangulation patterns. Like those are very technical aspects that might not resonate with everybody, but those technical aspects are really helpful for each and every single type of stakeholder in enterprise organizations, because it is what makes people sleep well at night, to be honest with you. We also see that this approach is quite unique in the market because a lot of partners and colleagues out there in our industry go through composable commerce transitions in more of a bigger bang type of an approach where doing no harm is not front and center. We go in and support all of these factors of change, whether that's organization, technology, customer, or even data in this transition. And you can really see that as being like an end-to-end -end type of a partnership that more successfully enable this more flexible and future-fitting solution. And ultimately, what we want to realize is we don't want to put your business at risk while we do that. But does a composable approach increase the complexity? It certainly does. And I think we are very transparent about composable approaches not being to everybody. But the question is as well, if organizations have the right maturity or have the right plan to achieve the maturity it takes in order to embrace a composable approach and ultimately become more competitive too. So that is also what we're working on in, even with this do no harm of an approach in right-sizing the type of composable architecture that we deploy to companies to make sure that it kind of hits let's call it the curve of maturity too, and make sure that it's not over-engineered or make sure that it's not overly sophisticated or hard to maintain, but it still yields the results and expectations that these companies sit with. So that's also a part of the do no harm approach. Pascal, there will be a lot of brands and clients out there who may already have invested a huge amount of money into these enterprise suites who have a, an offering for everything or a supposedly can, can offer everything that you need. You invest in one partnership one company, a lot of people will then see the introduction of Composable as meaning you're suddenly increasing the number of third parties that you're involved with, that you're engaging with. That's difficult for people to, to understand in terms of how they're going to be able to manage that process. What's your advice on that? Yeah, I get that concern about complexity. And uh, as Casper said, it's certainly not making the digital domain less complex. But part of it is also, you know, this doesn't need to happen overnight. We see and advise a lot of, of our clients taking gradual steps from their, you know, as a situation of today towards a more composable future. And uh, those steps can be small proof of concepts. They can be experiments in a new market. They can be the introduction of a specific channel to address a specific part of the audience. So also here, this is not about making big bang changes, but this is about taking, you know, small steps, small iterations, learning along the way, also learning from the mistakes that we make and build on the experience that we gain. It, it truly is a journey from, you know, the monolithical world of the past to the composable future. 
Casper, I'm going to bring you in here as well. Yeah, and I just want to really call out and emphasize the word experiment, because I think one of the benefits too of these types of composable architectures is that the decisions you're making are not binding. You actually have the opportunity to change your mind and all organizations deserve that opportunity to change their mind because a business and an organization is not very static by nature. So these choices that are being made in order to kind of start to go into the journey of becoming more composable can ultimately also be changed when you see the organizational maturity increasing or when you see the needs of the business or the customer also changing. So I also want to just ask everybody to really embrace not being perfect as they start to go on these journeys of composable because it does not have to be vetted to the degree of detail that you typically need to do in order to make sure that it's future fitting. The future fitting comes from the principles of Mach more than it comes from the choices that you make within the architecture itself. That's a really good point. And to follow up from that, if people were to make the decision to test out and experiment with a composable approach, does it render their existing technology redundant, their existing technology setup redundant? Absolutely not. Definitely not uh, overnight. And obviously it depends on what they have in terms of existing technology. Casper also talked about the strangler pattern, which is a pattern of introducing new features by carving out features from an existing solution and migrating to a new modular part of your composable architecture. Uh, obviously, that requires that the existing solution allows you to do that, both from a technical perspective and maybe even from a license perspective. Mm. So the question whether you can do that without heavily impacting your existing solution depends more on your existing solution than on the future that you're looking to, to create. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's also an interesting one, isn't it? Because again, Pascal, in a former podcast, we spoke to the CTO of Sitecore, Tom Derrida, about this and how those kind of enterprise companies are responding to this new market shift. Can you tell us any more about what you're seeing from the big names and how they're reacting and responding themselves? Oh, absolutely. So there's no doubt in my mind that in the future, and that maybe five years or 10 years from now, that a composable architecture and a, and, and a composable enterprise has become the kind of the de facto architecture and approach for the large majority of companies out there. So I think we are in a very interesting transition phase where we have relatively new vendors on the market who have taken Mach and Composable as a starting point for their solutions. And we see that a lot of existing solutions are, you know, reinventing their product, adding Mach or Mach-like features and functionalities to their platforms and making the transition. The same as they have been making the transition from on-premise to cloud, for instance, yeah. or from only serving the web to also allowing for other touch points to interact with their solutions. So this is a journey that I think everybody in this space is on. The question is a little bit, you know, will you be on the forefront of the wave or uh, lagging behind a little we're always quite careful on this podcast series, this transformation series, that we don't talk about what Valtec does. You know, this isn't about Valtech. This is about industry trends. It's about what our clients are doing. But there is definitely an element of partnership that's important here. And, and having one single partner to manage all of this for you, whether that's Valtech or a competitor, 
Can you tell me more about where that value add from having a partnership like Beltec, other partners are available, where the value from that really comes from? Yeah, in my mind, as we talked about earlier, it is truly a combination of the organizational aspects and the technical aspects. And I think what we see happening a lot in the market is that companies engage with partners that either consult them on the organizational part or help them out with the technical part of it. And I truly believe one can't live without the other. So I think that's where Beltec and agencies like us are often the right partner for companies going through this transformation because we truly focus both on the on the organizational aspects as well as the technical aspects of this challenge. Casper, in a recent interview, you asked whether the shared ecosystem is the future of e-commerce. Do you think the composable approach really does signal the end of the dreaded re-platform, considering what uh, Pascal's just talked us through? I do believe it does. Like composable architectures, I sometimes also describe as being a house without a ceiling, meaning you can outgrow it and you can do that without it being very painful for the organization. So I do believe it's the end of the dreaded replatform cycles that you typically sit in when the organization changes their requirements or when the expectations of the customer changes too. So these types of architectures are by nature open, extremely friendly, and also very, very flexible by nature. And again, it comes down to the technical principles that kind of backs the entire thing up. And I do believe that means you have the appropriate level of interchangeability of these components that you choose to kind of compose your architecture from. So from an e-commerce standpoint, when if you go in and actually see that your business model changes, you have the opportunity to actually change and choose a best of breed solution to kind of cater for those requirements and for those changes that you see. So we do see that that is more of a flexible and more future fitting approach without having to face the dreaded replatforming cycle. So when we think in the context then of Composable, let's try and make it incredibly tangible for the people listening to us, because they will have listened to us talking about the need for a brilliant customer experience. They will have heard us talk about you know the technology change that's involved, the mindset change that's involved in actually making it happen. Let's make it incredibly tangible. What are the kind of examples that we've seen from across different industries where we can see the real impact that the Composable approach is, is making? For me, two examples, two industries jump to mind. And one is obviously the retail industry. It was already on a path of kind of reinventing itself and past pandemic has only accelerated that ambition. So we see, for instance, in fashion and and makeup that concepts of virtual try-on are making their way into stores, but also the integration between your your physical shopping experience and and your digital shopping experience, where you have a cart that you may have started when you were at home on your on your mobile phone, but you complete the purchase that you want to make with the with the products that you selected in the store based on the advice that you received at the store. And you bring all those products in your personal cart together and make the transaction and then make it the, the choice whether you want to take the products home with you or whether you want them to be delivered. So I think that's an example of where uh, retailers are really integrating the, the physical and the digital channel into a single experience for the customer. And another example that jumps to mind is in the space of mobility. We work with a lot of automotive clients and 
all these clients are making a transition from producing cars to becoming a mobility provider. And obviously the car is still a very important ingredient in that mobility, but they're also adding services on top of that for leasing or renting the car or all sorts of other subscription models, but also subscription models that actually impact the features and functionalities of a car. And I think that's a that's a trend that goes really well hand in hand with electrification, where it's a, it's a lot easier to maybe get a subscription on additional horsepower, or since these cars have these digital infotainment systems, add functionalities onto your entertainment system in the car based on a subscription. And then all of a sudden, also the way these companies can monetize on these features and functionalities changes and the way they need to allow people to make their selections, either you know from an app or from the display in the car or from a portal that they access while they are at the dealership. This is a complete overhaul or a, compl- a complete revolution of an entire industry. And I think this can only be done when you have an architecture that supports all these kind of different business models, all these kind of different touch points, while still making it easy for the customer to complete its journey. Casper, how about you? Yeah, one example also pops to mind on on my side, and this is specifically within the entertainment industry, and more specifically, it could be live entertainment or even also cinemas and theaters. Like one of our clients in the Americas, Dolby Laboratories, is a client that has really benefited from microservices and a more composable approach to actually innovate and pivot based on the pandemic that we all faced back in 2020 and still do, by the way. So these microservices have actually allowed Dolby to pivot from having clear, very important and critical touch points in physical locations like experience spaces or in cinemas through partnerships into actually starting to create these virtual experiences through apps and TVs and even also live streams to actually cater for those same types of needs that their entertainment addicts have. So we really saw that this type of an architecture also allowed Dolby to pivot in regards to entitlement models, in regards to delivery of live content and those types of things. And without this type of an architecture, we wouldn't have been able to pivot as fast as we actually did. I've got two final questions for you. The first is, we've obviously just experienced Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and everything that happened around that. And that's obviously a prime example of where something like having, you know, this new approach benefits a company, enables them to to come up with a solution nice and quickly to handle that. Do you think that the Mac Alliance, the composable conversation, the kind of Mac's been around for a long time, but this kind of new focus on Mac, do you think it would have been as big as it has been had it not been for the pandemic? I would say in in general, and I think also Gardner, for instance, has been publishing about this, you know, the the market has certainly accelerated. I I read somewhere, I think we've done the evolution of 10 years of e-commerce in uh, seven months, something like that. So obviously we have to find out, you know, which parts of it will stick and which part uh, were just a temporary solution for a temporary problem. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that things have been accelerated, that companies have seen how important it is to be agile and 
to have the flexibility to adapt to a new reality. I think a lot of companies had the opinion that their industry was not changing so rapidly and that they probably could live another three, four, five years by doing what they've always been doing. And I think these past 24 months have proven them wrong. And my final question, it's one about trust. And I'm wondering, over the last two years, as you mentioned earlier, Pascal, we've seen so many new companies pop up or gain, you know, grow rapidly. Do you think there's an element of clients and brands looking at this emergence of Composable, looking at all of these new companies popping up and being hesitant because of how recently they've appeared on the market? Do you think there's trust in this approach yet? It's a good point. I think it's not, as you said earlier, it's not as new as some people may think. And it's not just that these new companies have emerged. Also, a lot of new companies have emerged that leverage the Mach principles. I think all the examples that we typically see and hear about, whether it's a Tesla or Uber or Airbnb, they all work in a way that fits the description of the composable enterprise, as uh, as Casper described it. And they have an architecture that follows the principles of Mach and, and composable. And these are you know, highly successful companies that I don't think anybody will argue will disappear very rapidly from the market. So in that sense, I, I truly think that the concepts of Mach and composable have proven themselves to be very successful. And they are becoming mainstream. A good place to end. Pascal, Casper, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Susie. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.